Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Corporate Activist. I'm your host, Siri Khalsa. I must admit that I'm a political junkie, and today we're going to get wonky. I'm really excited about this conversation because I usually find it hard to find someone who likes to talk about politics as much as I do, and especially hard to find someone who has such a unique perspective on the increasingly important role of business in politics and policy issues. I'll note that this discussion will be mostly about U.S. politics, but as what happens in the U.S. reverberates around the world, I hope the conversation will be relevant and interesting no matter where you are. My guest today is Fred Wellman. Fred is an Army veteran, Democratic strategist, consultant, and host of his own podcast on democracy with F.P. Wellman. In the 2022 election cycle, Fred was senior advisor to Marcus Flowers for Georgia and Luke Mixon for Senate in Louisiana. Previously, he served as the executive director of the Lincoln Project, leading it through a series of crises and transforming it from a campaign to a long-term organization. Fred served in the U.S. Army for 22 years as an aviator and public affairs officer, including four combat tours over operations Desert Storm and Iraqi Freedom. He retired out of the Pentagon in 2010 and embarked on a civilian career as an entrepreneur and veterans advocate, leading an award-winning benefit corp, B Corp, public affairs and advocacy firm for nearly a decade. Early in the COVID-19 pandemic crisis, he served as administrative chief of staff of New York Presbyterian Ryan F. Larkin Field Hospital in New York City, staffed by military special operations veterans. Wellman is a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and the Harvard Kennedy School. He's a native of St. Louis, Missouri, where he resides today. Fred, welcome to The Corporate Activist. I love it. Great to be here, Siri. Thanks so much, man. I sound that that bio is impressive. Who's that? <laughs> that has done a lot. <laughs> I guess so. No, it's a guy who can't hold a job. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> yep. I think it really speaks to um, all these experiences you've had and and how that's kind of got you here today. But yeah, you know, I always like to start a little bit um, with some background, and I'd love to just learn a little bit more about where you grew up and, you know, your career and what got you into the military. And then I really want to hear about the Lincoln Project. So, um, sure. (laughs) Many stories. Uh, well, I did grow up here in St. Louis, Missouri, just a, you know, the classic story, fourth kid of four. My dad was a Marine at the end of world war two. So we had a long history of military service. I actually only found out when we were at Harvard, um, that my military family actually dates all the way back to the the founding of the country, a French and Indian war. (laughs) Um, So I I was continuing a long line of service. Um, I, I, you know, a small town kid, relatively suburbs of St. Louis, um, want to have some adventure, you know, the military, want to fly. Um, ended up in the army instead at the, at the, at West Point, my, my entire family went to the University of Missouri. I rebelled by going to West Point <laughs> you know? and, uh, and then I, I took off the military, I had a military career that was, it was really great. I, I experienced some really amazing things. I flew helicopters in combat and Korea, Hawaii, you know, I, I saw a lot of the world, um, Ended up getting the opportunity to go to grad school at the Kennedy School after my second Iraq tour um, and went back again for a third because I just really love the food. And uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I retired from the military kind of I, – I you know, one of those kind of forest gone things, I ended up being a spokesman for some famous generals. Uh, so I continued that with a public relations career. Um, right. I want to give back to my community, the veterans community specifically. And so we focused our efforts on that, uh, made myself an advocate. Uh, and then, you know, the arc of things, you know, that was about 10 years of that work. Um, wanted to try something new. Uh, as we went into the COVID pandemic, you know, the company was struggling, like like many, yeah. because of our focus and stupidly decided to, you know, a friend called and said, "Hey, we're building a field hospital." I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need somebody. To, I need someone to do admin. I'm like, well, I could do that. And off I went to New York in the middle of the pandemic, uh, yeah. much to the chagrin of my family. Like, what? It's the same thing when I, you know, I got back and I, I joined the Lincoln Project. To Steve Schmidt's an old friend of mine, and reached out when I, I did close my so, firm, and and he said, maybe- "Hey, come on." And and for people who maybe don't know about the Lincoln Project, um, tell mm-hmm. us about that. Lincoln Project is a fascinating organization. It was a group of former Republican consultants, the strategists, the the people who work for the campaigns. Um, a few of them had experience working for various government you know, administrations. Steve had worked for Steve Smith, very well known to the group. He had worked for President Bush. It's actually how I met him uh, he, uh, when he was working in the Bush administration. You know, um, others uh, are more or less known of different different ways. Um, they came together in November of 2019, wrote an op-ed saying, "Look, we're Republicans. 
and Donald Trump must not be reelected. Um, right. Many of them former Republicans at that point. And it started off with an op-ed, and then they said, you know, that was kind of cool. Uh, we had an event in New York after that, and it was cool. And they said, you know, maybe we should do a thing. We'll we'll create this thing. We'll call it the Lincoln Project because we want to return the Republican Party to its roots of mm-hmm. of, of Abraham Lincoln. And um, and it's a funny story. I was actually just telling it the other day. They they started off with a budget of we figured they'd raise two hundred fifty thousand dollars that first year uh, for just the cycle. Of- which is kind of nothing. <laughs> no, not much. You do a few ads. In the U.S. politics, it's nothing, right? So they do a few ads. They, they, you know, Rick Wilson's a genius. He could do them cheap. Um, you know, it just caused trouble. And, uh, and, and, you know, like many things, overnight successes, you know, six months later, uh, six months of doing, mm-hmm. you know, muddling along, they did an ad called Morning in America, which was sort of, um, recognizing the, the fallout of the COVID crisis and, and how mm-hmm. Donald Trump's administration had made it worse. And they played off, of course, Ronald Reagan's morning in America, which was right. his big phrase. Well, it hit. It was a great ad, powerful, gutting in many ways. Um, and Donald Trump being Donald Trump, prickly son of a gun that he is, he goes on TV the next day and says, oh, I should call him the, the loser project, you know? What and and as Donald Trump likes to do that, I think you call it, they call it the Streisand effect. If, if, you, right. if you really don't want to bring attention to something, don't bring attention to it. And... Mm-hmm. You know that their budget went to a million. That they raised a million dollars that weekend, and then another two by the, in the next week. So suddenly, like, geez, we're going to build a pack. So they built the. Then, they built sorry, this- so, they, so the Lincoln Project was after um, the first term of Trump. Yes, correct. Okay, so these are yeah. Republicans who are like. We tried it. We don't like it. That entire group had been against Trump from the beginning. We yeah. we were all what they call never Trumpers. That, that right. was what brought us together. Every one of us. I mean, Jennifer Horn was the former New Hampshire uh, GOP chair. You know, of course, John Weaver, who is is now synonymous with other things, but John had been a you know a longtime consultant. Um, Steve Schmidt, of course, was you know, he's, my God. He's the guy that ran John McCain's campaign for God's sake. I mean, these were people who had been in the business. They were the guys. Yeah. They're the guys Republicans hired to get elected, and and they said they had said from the beginning, this guy just doesn't. This isn't conservative this isn't and so when time time to reelect they, they put their foot down so now we have to stand up and and the idea i tell you it's a very simple idea the idea was that recognizing that donald trump ran such a, a thin margin of a campaign that a win that if we just peeled off four to six percent of republicans right. that had voted for donald trump the first time and convinced them that not to do it again that that would be all it would take to beat him. Yeah. And, and and we actually called the Bannon line because Steve Bannon actually <laughs> said in a speech, you know, Steve Bannon himself said in a speech, hey, look, don't blow these guys off. I mean, they know what they're yeah. doing. I mean, they're they're yeah. us, they're Republicans. Yeah. And and they and they said, and he said in a speech, look, if they get four percent of our people, we're done for. And so we actually called the Bannon line. That was we actually posted, we had posters made up. We had posters made up. And so that was always the goal. And so it was funny because I actually had a conversation with a good friend of mine is a, a, a former Democratic candidate for Congress. And she, a classmate from West Point of all things. And she says, Fred, you know, you Lincoln Project guys, you know, you, it just doesn't, you, your messaging doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for Democrats like me. And I'm like, sister, I love you. You're not my damn target. Right, and right. she looked at me like I was crazy. I, I said, "You understand? I'm not trying to convince you. I'm trying yeah. to convince Republicans." Yeah. Uh, and and so I fell into it because my focus had been veterans, and they recognized that veterans and military personnel were a key constituency of his, uh, along with women, along with evangelicals, um, Latinos, and so we had these pillars that we actually did community organizing around. So I was actually brought in to be the senior advisor for Veterans Affairs in uh, July. I was a latecomer. I was one of the last additions to the campaign. And so I built our veterans community. You know, I did several ads. Sully Sullenberg did an ad with me. I did an ad with the Vinmans, Alex and Rachel Vinman. Of course, Ms. Alex had been the guy who testified for the um, impeachment. And then I, my last one, I did one with Mark Hamill uh, right before the election. So we did some pretty good stuff. Um, and, and sure enough, what do you know? 6% of the people peeled away from, you know, my colleagues don't take all the credit, but we did our part. Yeah, uh, I'm very proud of the fact that in my frame uh, of military, um, we were very aggressive. Um, much to the chagrin of some of my peers, I lost friends. Um, yeah. I, we ran ads in Stars and Stripes. We ran ads in Military Times, which are the main military newspapers, actually attacking the President of the United States. They they'd never done that before. They were right. they were shocked. They were shocked to discover the rules allowed it. <laughs> you know, and people were shocked that I would do that. That I would run ads against the the Commander in Chief. But um, a lot of military and veterans read those outlets, and and we need them to say this guy should not be Commander in Chief anymore. Uh, you know, Joe Biden, say what you will about Joe Biden, politically or otherwise, he is a blue star. He's a gold, he's a blue star family. His his son, he sent a son to war. No president since Eisenhower sent a son to war, um, or child to war. 
And so wow. there's a unique there's a unique perspective there. So yeah. that was my pitch. That was yeah. my pitch. He's he's one of us. He's a military family member. And 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 so that's that's Lincoln Project in a nutshell. And then of course, you know. I'm curious just a little bit about your transformation because you didn't identify as a Democrat. Have no. you always identified as a Democrat? No, I was Republican. That was Republican. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, you know, at, at the Kennedy School and went to grad school there, of course, um, we were one of the few Republicans. There, a guy named Professor David King, you may remember, who ran yeah. the, the, you know, I think you participated in his yeah. legislature yeah. class. And David specifically would recruit the military guys that were there at Harvard that year, assuming we were Republicans, which most of us were, yeah. and then have <laughs> us come in and be the token Republicans. And <laughs> so I was. Uh, now, I was always a centrist. I was always just right of center. Very very right of center. It's yeah. funny. When all this went down with Trump, I actually asked my ex, now ex-wife, said, man, have I always been this liberal? She goes, yeah, you've always been this liberal, but mm-hmm. but it fit. You know, I, I yeah. didn't care. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in, in, in choice. Never. I've always been pro-choice. I've always been pro-LGBTQ issues. I, I have nephews and nieces. My first wife who passed away, her sister is gay and her cousins, and they wrap their arms around me as dear, dear family. So to me, it was an offense to my family to, to, to take away people's rights. So I never fit well, but the old Republican Party allowed you to do that you know you could right. fit you know you could be yeah. center right you know because yeah. you why well, i was a defense hawk i was a, I'm, a, I'm still a fiscal conservative i mean I, you know and i ironically but but and being you can still be you can be a fiscal conservative and be a liberal as it turns out because to my version of fiscal conservative is that it's my tax money and i want to go to go to the greater good um and so anyway so yeah so when trump came in office that was my final straw i uh, i walked away i i tell the story often that that the day he did that family um Family Research Council event where they mentioned John McCain and he said, well, John McCain's only a hero because he was captured. Yeah, I don't. I like people who weren't captured, and that's such an offense to our community. I mean, POWs are all heroes, and so that shocked me. What really drove me though was I, I was easy to accept that John, Donald Trump's like that, but what drove me out of the party was the reaction to that. It was there wasn't any. I mean, many of my peers in the Republican world accepted it. Uh, shocking to me, my veteran peers accepted it, and that's when I knew I was in trouble. I knew that. Um, I knew that. That I had a problem, that I wasn't welcome in that community anymore. And it was true. I, I consider myself a former Republican. I'm a Democrat, tried and true. Yeah. I'm all in. I, I, I left the party. I was one of the few um, of the the leaders of the uh, which ended up being a leader of the uh, Alenka project. I was a uh, the executive director after the campaign. Um, that was truly. I said, look, I'm a Dem. I'm not. I'm not going to play these little word games where I'm a yeah. fallen yeah. Republican or a never Trump Republican. <laughs> like now, I'm. I believe right. in my heart that the Republican Party needs to um, be put out um, in 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 the in the pastures for a while to yeah. figure their stuff out. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to sort of get into into our topic a little bit. Yeah. And one of the things that sort of ignited my um, bringing up this whole topic of corporate activism was the attack on the Capitol on January yeah. 6th. Yeah. And for me, this was really a watershed moment where not only did, you know, was I watching this unfold as all of us did in real time and and it's sort of the unthinkable idea of our capital you know our sacred capital our place of government the seat of authority being attacked by an angry mob and and actually it being a lethal attack where people were killed um and our top politicians were running for safety uh, you know it, it's just it's like it's still for me it's still very surreal um, yes. but there was a certain fallout from that that caught my attention. And that was the fact that there were a lot of corporate PACs and a PAC for those who may not know is a political action committee. And these are basically fundraising um, machines. They can organize around a topic, usually um, an issue, and they drive money into campaigns. And what happened was after the January 6th attacks, there were several corporate PACs that decided they were no longer going to fund politicians who had been supporting the um, recount or not cho- choosing not to endorse the, the true and fair election. And the big lie. The big lie. <laughs> and so what happened from that, though, was that there was a, a new view on these corporate PACs where before a lot of people working in these companies perhaps didn't know that their corporation had a PAC (laughs) and did not know that they were supporting these kind of candidates. And there was a real call, a lot of it internally, 
where people were saying, hey, we don't want our money to go to these candidates who are acting in this way. It is not democratic. It does not reflect the values that we that we believe in. And this was something that Mitch McConnell and these people started, you know, taking taking notice of because money is everything in politics. And so I just thought that, you know, here we're seeing a new level of understanding about how the political system is working and and the role that the companies and the corporations have had because there there had there's, you know, as long as there's been politics, there's been corporate money in politics. But there hasn't been a lot of transparency. And I think from January 6th, we started to see a little bit more transparency and certainly a lot more interest in how corporations are funding politics. So I'm sort of curious to, to hear from you, how have you seen this evolution of corporate, let's say, you know, I mean, we can say corporate money for the moment, but I also want to, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about actually how corporations are then influencing policy. But how, how have you seen this evolve over time? Well, I think I think what you the, the key here is the McCain-Feingold changes, right? So when when corporations became people and corporate right. money was able to be spent, that was a dramatic change in our political system here in the United States. So there's always been money, I think corporate money, but the, the ability for corporations and others to raise ungodly amounts of money and throw them at causes they care about or politicians they care about um, using what we call dark money to create grassroots groups, you know, astroturf groups that are fake so they can, you know, put out issues, you know, oh, America's for common sense. Oh yeah, okay. Well it turns out those are corporates. You know, so so the yeah. the flood of money has been been dramatic. Right. And that that I think we're still feeling the pain from that. Um and it is very, it is very opaque. It's very, it's hard. You ha- you really kind of have to know how to look. Uh, you have to know how to uncover these these dollars and where they're going. Uh, and there's a few reporters that do a very good job of it. But for the most part, the average American is blissfully unaware how much of money from corporate America and rich people and billionaires is being spent in our political systems. And 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 that's before we even start talking about the state level systems that are, I mean, just ridiculous. Each state has their own rules. I mean, here in Missouri, Missouri is my favorite. Up until about. Two years ago, you could literally spend almost unlimited money on a politician. Like they would have here. I'm not telling you, Siri. This is a true story. They would have hearings, like offsite hearings. Say they're investigating the fast food industry. <laughs> okay, and this investigation of fast food sponsored by McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. They would literally, they would literally have like corporate sponsors for the hearing. Like the, the people they were investigating, like oh, the hotel industry. Oh, sponsored by Marriott, and and, and, and it was just so transparently ridiculous. And, and so uh, they did kind of fix that, but not very well. And and again, you have these dark money groups. We call them we call them uh, C4s, which are not really political, but they are. Uh, it, it is really, um, it's really, it's changed the dynamic quite a bit. And and average Americans have no idea. Now you're right. January six really brought it the fore. Lincoln Project was part of that. We we made a conscious decision to really expose these companies and run. And then there's a guy named Judd Legum, who's a wonderful journalist here in the United States, who who's, who really goes deep in the FEC um, Federal Election Commission website to dig up these money. You know who's spending? Why is Toyota still investing in people who want to overthrow our government? And and it ties into a larger social movement that we've seen, which you talk yeah. about is is that that one. Consumers are more aware of where their money is going. There is, especially in Gen Z, especially in millennials, they're very, they're very painfully aware of the impact of their money. Two, um, you're seeing, like you said, you mentioned yourself, the the workers themselves are saying, "Wait a minute, what are we the baddies?" <laughs> you know, I love that meme. There's, a, you know, are we the baddie or the Nazi? Yeah. You know, and so these people work for these companies like, hold on, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with my, my money going to that. Or, or, you know, a lot of corporate giving programs, the employees themselves give to the company and then the company distributes that to uh, nonprofits. Some were shocked to discover where their money was going for their, their corporate giving program. So, so you do have a much more aware uh, electorate than we've had. So while we have opaqueness and it's hard to find the information, we also have a very online society that can find the information they want. And yeah. so that collision, I believe, is what we saw. Now, uh, we also had the world's shortest attention spans here in the United States. Uh, <laughs> you know, so January 6th was life-changing for me. That's why I literally I, – I, I, I called – two weeks later, I called Reed Gale and I said, hey, um, I, 
I knew that our existing executive director had, had, had really had a rough time in the election. She was kind of tired. She, was, she wanted to move to a different position. I said, hey, put me in coach. Make me executive director. I want to fight. I get, put me in the fight. Yeah. Uh, up until then, I'd just been the veterans guy. And then they said, you know what? You got it. So, And then, of course, the day I took the job, there was a huge crisis and I ended up being a crisis manager for nine months. But having said that, what drove me to volunteer and say, we need to fight. We need to fight for our democracy. Um, getting rid of Trump wasn't enough, uh, and that's and I think I'm one of many who decided that that day. Yeah, no, I I think you know for for those of us who are um, engaged in politics and have a reverence, you know, uh, for what <laughs> for for the political system in the still US, believe in it oddly. <laughs> yeah, I know. After all this time, <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty. It, it was really a shocking shocking event. What's interesting now is also how we're seeing this evolve. So you have your own podcast, which um, I mm -hmm. will recommend to all my listeners if they really want to dive in Thank deep you. in the weeds. Um, into <laughs> Have some US. laughs, talk to some cool people. <laughs> yeah, into U.S. policy, just, you know, policy and politics and campaigns and elections, which, you know, is really fascinating because um, in terms of actually what's going to flip an election, they're mm -hmm. very and and in the U.S. especially where states matter and don't don't matter. I spend a lot of time now that I, I live overseas explaining how, how the system works to foreigners because they don't yep. understand. They don't understand why everyone doesn't get a vote. They don't understand <laughs> why some states don't matter. They you know as I said the you know the the electoral college is a <laughs> is very strange. Nobody gets that. Strange even strange to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you know, states like California and New York and, uh, you know, half of the other states, why don't they even, you know, they seem not to even matter at all. So right. it's, it's a very complex system and it feels like it's, it's, it's narrowing and narrowing. And yet we're seeing that corporations are playing more of a, a part in terms of funding campaigns um, and also now being out in front a little bit on some of these policy issues. And even, you know, I think you were probably watching quite carefully what was happening in Georgia with Coca-Cola and how they were involved in some of the voting right issues, some really silly stuff that was going on there and stuff we're seeing in Florida, which um, I think you will agree with me is really ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, where companies like Disney are getting caught up in, in things which, you know, we're talking about issues which are really basic. Voting right. rights is a right. very basic issue. This is not right that we should agree on. That we should agree on, and that you shouldn't be canceled <laughs> for trying look, to. Look, vote. we have an entire party that's given itself over to authoritarianism. We we can't have this conversation without recognizing that much of the Republican Party has decided that authoritarianism and bullying is a part of their political policy, right? Uh, and and I, I just now in Missouri, I'll, I'll give an example. Right here in Missouri, I am right now. Uh, this a state, le a state senator has introduced a bill that may pass that essentially defunds the entire library system of the state of Missouri because two librarians, just two, have sued the state because of a law they passed last um, last legislature restricting what books can be put up on the – so because two librarians had the audacity in their private roles to sue the state uh, because they felt their First Amendment rights were being uh, – they've decided they're pro they may very well possibly terminate funding for all public libraries from the state. Okay, you've got Florida where Ron DeSantis is a monster. There's just no way I'm, I'm not going to even pretend there's anything else. Ron DeSantis is a horrible person, and Disney had the audacity to question his his bill, and so they've literally pulled their self government status. Which in, in the, the ironic part of that is they just shot themselves in the foot because now Florida's got to carry it. It's just the only explanation that no one wants to say the elephant in the room is 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 a creeping authoritarianism and so you're right and and and, and this thing of wokeness as an enemy and people say go back to trump but it does go back to trump but his next generation is much beyond trump something we talk about often is that th this this group of people that's doing these things these aren't necessarily trumpists these are people who really like that part of it they like the part where they bully people they like the part where they see their diminishing power as, as, and I'll be very candid, you know, this is, there's race issues here as well. Um, yeah. There's a dwindling minority, you know, where, where many, many uh, white Americans see their quote power diminishing as, 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 as they become uh, a majority minority. My peers at, at Lincoln Project say, uh, Reed Galen and, and Steve Schmidt use an example. It's, it's like a son 
when a sun, when a star, mm. you know, fades, when a star yeah. is dying, it gets hotter, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it has a higher gravity and it's hotter. And then what happens at the end is it explodes. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, you, if you look at our Republican Party here, in many ways, that's what happened. It's getting smaller because it's very much committed itself to essentially a white Christian, right. um, you know, yeah moral code. And that's a dwindling population here in the United States. It's dwindling population in the whole world. Um, We will be a majority and minority country in the next few years. Uh, And so as they get smaller and hotter, they tend to get more, you know, again, hotter, which in this case is things like this, trying to crush librarian, librarians. I mean, we're talking librarians. I mean, these aren't these aren't warriors. These aren't culture warriors. They're they're freaking librarians, right? And, and so, so they're catching a lot of stuff. They're in their gravity, and, and they're and people are being burned up in this fight. Uh, unfortunately, what's going to happen is they're going to explode at some point. The question yeah. is when, and yeah. and is that explosion going to be controlled, or is that explosion going to take out other things with it? And that's much of the fear that people like me deal with. Is is is? And if you look at my podcast, but it's called On Democracy. It's not even partisanship, or I don't actually don't I don't talk policy at all. What we do talk about is. What are the threats? Who are the? Where are the institutions failing us? Uh, I tweeted this morning. If you follow me on Twitter at uh, FP Woman, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, um, CNN did out a headline today that said the headline of CNN was it's DeSantis administration quietly looks to expand controversial don't say gay policy to all grades. Okay, hold up, dude. The, the don't say <laughs> okay, okay. Quietly, it's almost like they're talking about uh, school lunch is going to get cut back. Like this isn't a change of policy. They're literally dictating it to teachers. They can't even talk about girls' periods, high school girls, or literally can't talk about the being pregnant. Perhaps I mean, and and what they've done is uh, Greg Sarge of the Washington Post has done a wonderful job of examining these laws and showing how they're purposely written to be confusing. They're yeah. purposely written very broad, and the reason is. Because they won't survive a court, but the goal is to intimidate people. Look, right. a teacher who's making $52,000 a year does not want to get sued by the state yeah. or by a parent. Okay? Right? So so these laws, this is right out of the fascist playbook, yeah. is to intimidate you, is to strike fear in you that if you speak out, you'll pay a price. Right. And this circling back to the whole point of this broadcast is – Corporations are being caught up in that now, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what Ron DeSantis did with Disney. That's what right. they're doing with these other woke. That's why they talk these woke companies. Yes. These hearings on Capitol Hill about woke companies. That yes. is all designed to simply, you know, intimidate companies and hold them, hold them uh, in fear. Right, and and don't ask them to define what that means, right? No, don't that's, ask them that's to purposeful too. What it's just as purposeful, and it's just as purposeful. <laughs> Again, that's that's where the Republicans, unfortunately, do such a wonderful job, or sorry, hateful job of communicating better than those of us on the progressive side. They're do, very good. They picked a simple word, woke. Oh, wokeism, CRT yeah. before that, right? right. Uh, you know, they, they 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 twist a word. They don't want it to be well defined. That's there was a right. big joke the other day when when Bethany Mandel made a complete jackass of herself on TV, trying to when 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 the interviewer said, hey define woke and she couldn't that wasn't that yeah. she couldn't she didn't want to yeah right woke is whatever they want to be it's if it's mm-hmm. if it's you know saying and so so it's perfect now is it a good campaign no because the best part of this whole story is it because it is so nebulous and because it actually came from a very positive world wokeism the idea of being woke is came out of black culture meaning you, you've I, you opened your eyes you, you, yeah. Your eyes have been open to the systemic racism. Your eyes have been open to what's really going on around you. So yeah. it's, it's actually got a long history of almost a positive way, right? Absolutely. And it does. And so what's interesting to me, I saw a wonderful story about a week ago where polling and focus groups, people are like, nah, that's, 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 bull- that's BS. <laughs> you, know, you know I mean? Their own, their own Republicans are like, I, I don't understand how fighting woke helps me. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, cause there, there's a lot of things they get away with. Like they can say, they're trying to string it. Well, these DEI initiatives are keeping you from getting into college. And everybody's like, well, I got in a college. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's such a desperate move to try and throw anything against the wall. Everything's woke. Well, right. oh, you couldn't get baby formula. Oh, that's woke. And average Americans are going, what the F are you talking about? You know, yeah, I know, even, you know even these you know. The recent banks, you know, the, the banking crisis or mini crisis is going Perfect on. Perfect example. Perfect yeah. example. 
Woke to fail. Right. Oh, it's wokeism. Uh, it's woke. Then, then you get a picture of the board. My favorite part was I put a picture of the board up. It's two white women and ten white men. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, they are seriously freaking woke. You know, yeah. it's my, we were joking. Look at the diversity. There's a fat guy and a skinny guy, <laughs> but they're still all white. And so, and that's where this thing that's where this thing collapses, right, Siri? Because in America, we cannot deny that white Christians are still the majority. White Christians are still the power. Power, right? Yeah. And that goes for our corporate boardrooms, right? Women aren't in power in corporate boardrooms, certainly not black Americans, certainly not Latino Americans, yeah. maybe a few Asians, you know, but for the most part, our corporate boards are very white uh, and male. And so, so the idea that there's this assault on the white Christian and the American values runs up against facts yeah. that even the most tried and true believers fail to see. So so something I say a lot is the reason I believe, and I'm going counterintuitive with my peers and my former peers at Lincoln Project and elsewhere, is that this will fail, that there is hope because the fa- the problem they're running into is the diehard believers buy this. It's going to be that 30%, but they really need normies. I call them the, the normies, right? People want to call them independents. I don't call them independents because – Honestly, in America, if you're independent still, I, I don't know. I think you're just asleep. You've been in a coma for four years. I mean, <laughs> how do you be independent in this country at this point, right? Yeah. So, but I do say there are people on both sides of the aisle, both left and right, Democrat and Republican, who I call them the normies. And some people call them centrist, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. But the normies are the ones who say, well, I'm a conservative. You know, I don't want my taxes to go up, you know. And the normies, he, they desperately need the normies. That's their independence, right? right? Yeah. And an independent Republican will call them. And the normies are going, what the F you talk about, bro? I mean, what the hell is woke mean? <laughs> you know, and so so I do believe I take solace and hope in the fact that the ridiculousness of this entire argument is running up against cold hard facts they can't resist. Yeah. They can they can pull the wool over your eyes for a long time, but when you open your eyes and see, like you said, SV Bank, you know, Silicon Valley Bank is the perfect example. Oh, it was wokeism. Okay, let's look at that board. They're all white. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, so One of the interesting phenomenons around this is that actually Donald Trump was our first, let's say, CEO uh, right. president. Yeah. And a lot of um, voters at the time felt that he would be a good president because he was such a successful businessman. And we know that that was fiction created um, by a TV show <laughs> called The Apprentice that he was actually is not a, a successful businessman. Um, but there was this idea that the, that skill set could be useful as a politician and would be useful to help the economy, would help people get jobs. Although he was you know, famous for firing people, which I still don't understand. But mm-hmm. you know, we're- that government, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we have now seen, um, we are seeing some, some CEOs who are transitioning into being politicians. And I'm curious how you see that. Um, because you know, here, corporate activism is not necessarily a CEO becoming a politician. What we're, what we're looking for are companies to incorporate political activism within their business and within their day-to-day operations in a, in a proactive and reactive way. But I'm really curious to see your perspective on this um, CEOs transitioning into politicians, that if they feel that they've had a success uh, running a company, that therefore they can run something bigger. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, no. Again, government is not business. Uh, let's take the Postal Service, for example. There was this idea that the Postal Service should be run like a business, that we're going to make it efficient and all, um, that it's going to be, you know, it should pay for itself and all that kind of stuff. But it's that last word. It's it's that stupid little nagging word at the end, service. Mm. Service is not business. It's not the United right. States Postal business. It's not United States Postal Inc., okay? It's a service. And services by their nature – are designed to serve people and give them things and may may not include being profitable, right? It's the same thing with the military. Um, we don't we don't pretend the visit the military should be profitable. We don't pretend the military should break even because it's not reasonable. <laughs> okay. You know, how do you how do you break even, right? And so it's a service. The military by the way, we call it military service. And so too often I've seen my peers who were maybe, you know, former former um, CEOs and others come into this and say, 
oh, uh, you know, you need to run the government like a bit. We need to be more efficient. Got to run like a business. You know, yeah. you know. Oh my God, this 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 department's not being efficient. They're they're losing money. No shit, dude. I mean, it's the government. Okay, it's yeah. not. You know, and 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 we're going to have to figure that out. He said he yeah. wanted, he was going to cut out you know a bunch of right. departments. They were they were inefficient. They were inefficient. They're inefficient. What the hell does that even talk mean? You know, of course they're inefficient. They're the nice. They're the government, right? You know, so so the, the the too often I've seen people come out of the corporate world and say, well, you know, there's also the change. I, and I'll be very honest. I think the corporate world's lost its way in many ways because everything is about shareholder value. I'm sorry, um, the United States government is not about shareholder value. It's about customer value, okay? The government, a government of, of and for the people is designed to serve all the people. Um, unfortunately, I believe our corporate world has become about serving the people who give them money. And let's face it, the people who give you money in government are the donors. Right. And so when you prioritize right. shareholder value, <laughs> right? You know, shareholder value um, over the customers is is what drives everything in corporate America now. Right. In the corporate world, that's that's all they care about. Are the shareholders getting their money? Going to do some stock buybacks? You know, hey, but the customers are getting screwed. Eh, F them. And so in the government, again, the, the, the you cannot ever make believe that average taxpayers are corporate shareholders. They're not. They're right. customers. They're right. the people you service, right? That's people who the military protects, the people who get the mail. Honestly, I used to be the other side of this, sir. I would say, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A good CEO, a, a good CEO is a good leader and they're a good corporate citizen. Nah. And I actually did a town hall with, with Howard's, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Um, Mr. Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, Howard Schultz. I did a star. I did a year. I did a, a, a um, town hall with him on veterans mm-hmm. issues. I, you know, now we've got Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who's just a monster. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and and then we throw in that twist of the the, 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 the CEO is actually a guy who ran like VC where they gutted companies and sold them for parts, you yeah. know, the, too much of our corporate world's about that today. So yeah. these guys are coming in with an idea of being a corporate raider, like, oh, well, you know, we could sell off the, all the, all the, uh, you know, the, the factories is like, no it. You know, we're going to privatize things. I'm sorry, you can't privatize the military. Yeah. Um, you know, look, let's be honest. One of the reasons we're struggling right now, we had 25 I believe I believe the number is 25 defense companies, manufacturers at the end of the Cold War. There's four now. Okay. Really? Four major defense manufacturers. Because we ran the government like a business. You know, you know, it'd be more efficient if Lockheed, uh, let's see, Boeing can buy McDonald's Douglas, and then you know, it's like, oh, look, it's more efficient for us as the government. Now they can't, they, and then they said, well, you know, it'd be more efficient. We're not making a lot of artillery ammo, so we'll close that plant down, and if we need it, we'll rebuild it. And now we need goddamn artillery right now, and these, yeah. these bastards close everything down to save money, you know, mm-hmm. shareholder value, right? Yeah. And so we can't do our job as Americans to defend our country because we outsource so much of our shit to people whose only goal was to make sure their shareholders made profits. So, so I actually am, I've, I've flipped and it was funny. This is the first time I've had this conversation, Sarah. I'm not going to lie to you, uh, that I, I would actually stand here very comfortably and say, no, a corporate CEO will not make a good president or governor. And yeah. and time and time again, we're seeing that it's this delusion, and it comes down to I think a lot of ways what we just said. Who's the shareholder in this case? Yeah. And I'm sorry, I don't believe for one second that any of these assholes think average Americans are their shareholders. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I don't. You know, I think both of us um, still identify as capitalists. Um, yeah, but, I am. Yeah, I love it. But Big there fan. is something. There, <laughs> there is the idea of being a responsible capitalist and being exactly. You know, not just being um, answerable to shareholders, but actually being answerable to society. And, you know, here, what we like to talk about on The Corporate Activist is how business can can do more and can be more active in looking at some of these issues that, that society is facing and help use their platform through leveraging, you know, supply chains, through their own publicity and activism um, to really help progress some of these issues. And, and I think, you know, we have seen this happen recently, even with the after, right after the Dobbs ruling, you know, it was really uh, fascinating to see the number of corporations that came out and said, we are going to support the reproductive health care of our female employees. And if that means they have to go out of state, then go out of state. And these were companies that before would never go near abortion with a you know a 20 foot pole yep but they're finding that they have to because not only 
is it important for their their customers to know where they stand, but it's it's important for their employees and people want to work at a company that is having some values, right? They're having some, some, they're being able to show this is what we stand for. And it's not just about making money for a few people. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's encouraging to see that. There are companies, there are good companies. There's, you know, everybody always talks to Patagonia is such a big name. Uh, but there's many companies that have made these choices. Um, even even the dirty old pharma business, right? There, there's there's these good companies that are trying to do the right thing and 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 they're stepping up to the plate and they're investing in their communities. They're even their corporate PACs, their corporate foundations are investing in the communities. I mean, and, and they're investing in their employees because there's a demand for it. Again, capitalism is driven by customer demand and 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 in, and in many cases employee demand. Demand. Companies that recognize their employees are the key uh, and recognize their values matter. That we're we're rating you on your values. Look, I'm not going to pretend that this is this is some altruism. A lot of it's not. It's not altruistic in any way. I'm sorry. I, you know, again, circling back, we just said, look, their mission is one and one only: shareholder value, right? Yeah. But they're also figuring out, oh shit, our sales and our corporate reputations are impacting our shareholder value. And as long as we as consumers and activists like I am and advocates like us um, who have these miniature platforms in many ways, hold them accountable and realize that there will be a dent on their bottom line if they fail yeah. to do the right thing, you know, uh, I, I think there's power there. And so, so that's why I love working with Gen Z. I'm an advisor for an organization called Voters of Tomorrow, which is a Gen Z activist group. And I love working with them because they they are so much more read in. They're so much more online and, and aware of where their money's going and the products they're buying and the impact of those products. Um, I think they're going to hold it. Look, capitalism's great, but crony capitalism isn't. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 look, we had capitalism of the great robber baron era was a terrible form of capitalism that that destroyed many. You know, it it, it destroyed our our environment. It destroyed so much, right? So we realized that that crony capitalism of the, of the of the great you know that era needed to be changed. There needed to be regulation, and then we saw what's happened now in capitalism in the last six years. The Trump era, where they burned up regulations. We don't need train regulations. What do you mean special breaks? We don't need special <laughs> breaks. Oh shit. We have a bunch of train wrecks. Why is that? Oh, it turns out we need regulation that because the capitalist on their own will not do it because their job is to maximize profits and shareholder value. So, so capitalism in itself is good, but you can't have unchecked capitalism. Yeah. You can't have crony capitalism. Uh, there's literally an article that just came out shows that a Missouri engineering company that gave 85000 Dollars Ron DeSantis's campaign has made shockingly over 280 contracts in Florida since then. It's amazing. I, I'm sure it's a coincidence that a Missouri engineering company has 280 contracts in Florida after giving $85,000 to the governor. It's a it's a mystery. And so these kind of forms of capitalism uh, are not appropriate, you know. And so so we have to have a, a regulatory process. We have to have government that recognizes it. We also have to have consumers and employees that hold these corporations yeah. accountable. Uh, yeah. I'm, Absolutely. And I'm sure how that's going to go. I mean, I've, we, we, it's been very clear from our opponents of the Republican Party that they have no intention of doing that, that they will unleash as much as they can because they're getting the money. They're getting paid. Yeah. Millions and millions of dollars is flowing into the coffers from these robber barons, the modern robber barons. Yeah. yeah. You know, you mentioned, we mentioned in your introduction that your consultancy was a B Corp. And I imagine that was a pretty early days in the B Corp. But was, you know, yeah. um, this is a, a movement that we see growing um, in the US and, and now much more in Europe, where there is a more than, you know, what they call a triple bottom line. There, there is an understanding that benefits to society actually can be a valid. Um, outcome for a corporation. It doesn't have to all just be about money. Um, and I, yeah, as you say, people are going to hold companies accountable. And, and that's one of the roles we as public can play. We want more transparency. We want to know where your corporate PAC money is going. We want to know about your supply chain. We want to know, you know, um, what are you doing to for your employees? How are they getting paid? Where, you know, th- there's so many questions out there. And I, and I think Thanks to social media, um, we are getting uh, more of an inside picture on a lot of these, and we are seeing, you know, people engage and and hopefully some CEOs out there <laughs> becoming a bit more, you know, yeah. responsive and responsible to to general society. Because, you know, my point is there are so many problems in the world. We can't just rely on government to fix them. 
Correct. Um, we need regulations. I agree. But we also need responsible corporations who are can step in in a leadership vacuum yep. and and raise some issues and say, actually, this is the right way to approach, you know, whatever yep. mining or here's the right way to approach, um, you know, education. And, and, you know, if they are and this is a big caveat, is they need to be well-informed. They need to know what they're talking about. It's not just a matter of putting a logo or attaching, you know, some empty words onto onto a subject, but really knowing what they're talking about and engaging in a really intelligent way and, and being able to speak on a topic with with a great understanding. And, and these can be a lot, a lot of times quite local issues, right? I'm yep. sure that corporations in Missouri you know, have a lot of local issues that they can get involved in, whether it's yep. voting rights, whether it's, you know, racial issues, there's a lot there. And yep. it doesn't have to be, um, you know, taking on the uh, deforestation of the Amazon. <laughs> a lot of times it can right. be, you know, much more localized than that. The homelessness. Um, I mean, look at the Home Depot yeah. Foundation. I worked at the Home Depot. Home Depot was my client, one of my very big first and biggest clients at the at my former firm. I actually continued to work with them even after I closed my firm because we had such a great relationship for a decade. Uh, and they said, look, um, you know, they did two things they saw. One, we're a, we're a home improvement company. Two, they had actually lost uh, associates in the war on terror uh, mm-hmm. and said, you know, we have an affinity. At the, the CEO at the time, his son was a veteran of the Iraq war. And they said, oh, you know, we should do something for veterans, veterans homelessness. I was hired early on to help set it up. And, and they've now invested well on their way to $500 million into veterans housing and homelessness issues. Uh, and, 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 and especially in their local areas around their stores and, and local, uh, it's very rare. I talk to a nonprofit that's got something to do with veterans that needs, you know, to fix up their lodge or a housing thing, and they haven't gotten some kind of money from their local Home Depot. So there's like USAA for me, the military insurance and banking organization out of San Antonio, uh, a client of mine. I think at one point, they literally were funding all of San Antonio, Texas. I, I think at one point, they had 133 local nonprofits that were getting money and support from the USA foundation. Um, That's very big impact right in your own backyard as a corporate, as a corporate member of your community uh, and what you can do to make a difference. And I I love it. And so Fred, I'm, I'm curious just to to sort of tap into some of your expertise. Let's say I'm a company, um, you know, making, um, you know, iPad covers or, you know, pens or something like this. And I really feel like I want to get involved in, let's say this book banning issue. You know, yep. it's a highly charged political issue, but it, it kind of resonates with, you know, my company, with the people in my company. It's important to us. How would you advise someone to, to wade in on that? You know, what are your company values and what are the values of your employees? What are the values of your business? Um, and, and it starts with that, right? And and that does go from the CEO. It goes to, you know, some of them will actually, um, you know, survey their their, their, their employees and all of their customers. Um, sometimes it's just common sense because of connection to their manufacturing process or maybe there are suppliers in a place that's under attack, it, it, those kind of things. So you start just an assessment of where, where we can have an impact and what we have. That, and then you look at what you have you can impact it with. Is it is it your pack? money is it your foundation money is it simply simply your voice maybe you got a big voice like you know big companies have big voices sometimes um it doesn't have to be and you have to make a choice of how you will track this issue how you'll invest in this issue it will be my pack money where you know as i said candidates or uh, organizations that are are attacking us um, won't get money and those that do fight it will Uh, is it putting up a pr campaign you know donating books i mean there's a million different ways that's the wonderful thing is the the variety of opportunities for them to make a difference is is good. The danger, of course, is you have to be very smart. You don't want to look like you're just doing stuff for PR, po- you know, positive press, um, you know, like the what is they call pink washing, right? Where suddenly everybody cares about breast cancer for one month a year, yeah. right? Uh, and, and so we call it greenwashing in the military, where they oh they love the military. Okay, why do you love the military? Because we just love the military. By the way, <laughs> we give out home loans to the military. It's like yeah, okay, I know you love the military. You love our money, <laughs> um, you know. So so there is a yeah. very fine. 
online. That's why I love the Home Depot. They did a very, very careful look at, you know, where can we have an impact? What are the tools we have in our toolbox to do that? Which is literally tools. I mean, that's the joke. I mean, they, they literally <laughs> give tools. You know, in this case, they, a, a real secret power of the Home Depot, for example, is their their volunteer group called the Team Depot, where mm-hmm. their own associates volunteer for community projects. And they they, ta- they literally survey them. Hey, we like to do more for veterans housing. Yeah. Uh, I tell a lovely story. One of our first projects we did was at the the, the VA center in West LA in, in, in uh, California in LA. And there's an organization that had a building on campus there at the, at the beautiful, beautiful campus they have at the VA there. Um, and, uh, and we brought in Home Depot Associates to Team Depot to do an improvement project. And I came in at like six and it was our first big project. We had the band Three Doors Down was coming. It was crazy. And uh, there's this woman in an orange vest um, digging in the what was the existing rose garden at the nonprofit. And I walked up and said, what are you doing? She goes, oh, my God, are you with the company? I was like, no. She goes, okay, because I'll get in trouble. I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. She goes, well, we're not allowed to spend our own money, but this is called the Veteran Rose. And I bought four of them, and I wanted to put them in before everybody got here, <laughs> you know, you know, on her own, you know. And, and yeah. that kind of – when you have those kind of employees, that passion for something, yeah. if you tap into that effectively and transmit that effectively, and that's the lovely thing about what they've done. And, and in, th- in this case, what I was real proud of the Home Depot and got them – not that I'm not to blow smoke up my own butt, but but they they said before they launched that the agency, the PR firm they had is who called me and said, look, Home Depot wants us to have a veteran on our team mm-hmm. who speaks veteran, who can right. see through the bullshit and will and will be hard on us. Like the 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 point they want to make was they didn't want to be accused of greenwashing. So they want to have a guy like me who come in and say, Yeah, this is don't do that or do this or here's how to frame. It. I mean, I would get every press release, every graphic. I remember they sent me a graphic for Veterans Day one year. I was like, Yeah, those are British. And they're like, it was literally a picture of boots. And, you know, it was people marching. They said, how do you know that? So that's British camouflage. Like, holy shit. And, you know, and, and but that's that's good, right? I mean, it's good. Yeah, it shows right. that, that they didn't make those you know, unforced errors. My favorite one was, uh, my favorite one of all was uh, right around Memorial Day. Uh, we, we monitored their opponents, their, their competitors' social media. And their opponent, their competitor, I keep saying opponent politics, a competitor, in, uh, their competitor was Lowe's and, and Lowe's put out, well, it's, 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 it's the weekend of barbecue for, for Memorial Day. We've got these great sales. And somebody responded, yeah, you know, cause that's Memorial Day. It's all about barbecuing. And it was a veteran. And right. the, and their 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 social media team just replied, "You're darn right. We got great deals." <laughs> and then it went really south fast because no Memorial Day honors our fallen who died in service to the country, and it looked really bad. So I screenshot right. that stuff and sent it to my friends at Home Depot and said, "Get this to the social media team. Don't let <laughs> anybody, don't let anybody walk into this ambush." So so I know it's a long story, but my point being, if you're gonna do it, just make sure you you have your heart in the right place. You're speaking to the people who need that. Bring them in and say, "What can we use?" Uh, another example is that uh, Home Depot had a convening. Uh, on on a uh, employment, it's like how does employment tie into homelessness? And I brought in, I actually brought in some nonprofits to brief them. And yeah. so, if you're going to do it, do it. It's wonderful. Um, save yourself some pain by talking to the experts in that world and saying, well, how can we help? Yeah. I do think we see too often people just kind of bowl their way into a topic where, whereas, like you said, the the, uh, the one you mentioned, perhaps the free speech around books, great. Bring some librarians in. Uh, yeah. bring some, bring, bring some first amendment lawyers in and say, how, how can we address this? Where can we go? Yeah. And they could do some very subtle ways. Like, Hey, congratulations. We're buying free books. We're buying books for every library in the County. Uh, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, yeah, anyways, so that's, exactly. just think- you have to, I think, as you say, it has to be in alignment with the company values and it has right. to be, um, you know, authentic to what the company stands for and yes. you know, resonate with those values and, and and then do it well, yeah. Find the right partners, um, you know, and, and be consistent about it. I think yep. you know, don't don't just you know do veterans on Veterans Day, obviously. Right. Um, all right, Fred. Yep. I've got one important question for you before right. we get to our wrap up questions. Well, this right. is a bit of a pet peeve for me. Okay. Should companies give employees time off to vote? Yes. Good answer. Yes, absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's a civic duty. It should be. It's more important than some of the holidays we celebrate. Frankly, it's right. absolutely. We did it. We did it. My company. I always gave everybody the day off. Um, yeah. Uh, it it because it, it matters. I, if you want to if you want to encourage civic engagement. 
the number one way for civic engagement and democracy is voting, um, yep. making it convenient, making it easy for them. Um, yep. So I've always been a big proponent of, of paid time off for uh, voting. And look, it's not you – know, most most places are pretty efficient. We all – you hear the stories about the eight-hour waits, but for the most part, you're in and out. Uh, and now with early voting, I mean, I, I, you can pretty much vote anytime you want to in most most places, you know. So, yeah. so no, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of doing that. Yeah. You know, I'm an old veteran. You know, we, we, you know, I don't know if you know, but absentee voting actually came out of the Civil War. Um, oh, when, when Lincoln's reelection in 1864, um, the Union soldiers, the one of the Union soldiers obviously to vote for him. And so absentee balloting was created for soldiers in combat. And so yeah. I've always been passionate about um, how important it is to vote no matter where you are. Yes. And that is exactly a great sentiment to um, to wrap up on. Um, Love Fred, it. I've got two wrap up questions. I'm uh, ready. I, I like to end the podcast. So the first one is, what is something that made you laugh this week? Oh man, I had a rough week. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is going to sound funny and uh, a little bit melancholy for an old soldier, but I have a wonderful partner, Heather, who who always finds a way to to make me laugh. And 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 one of the funniest things happened this week where. You know, we joke a lot about our relationship with partners, and uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home boyfriend, we call it, and uh, <laughs> you know, because I'm a consultant on politics. And if you live in a if you live in a very red state like we do, when people ask you at a bar, you know, what you do for a living, you don't tell them Democrat politics. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's just I, I literally had a guy like like go off on me on the uh, at a bar one time. So so our running joke is never tell them what you do. So in your politics, you joke about coming up with like a fake job, like well, I I play piano in a you know stripper. <laughs> in a strip club, and, and so, so I used to joke that I clean, I clean stripper poles, you know, brass stripper poles, like only at the high class places, whatever. So, so the long story short, we're at a bar, a uh, local bar, first time we've been there, and this older couple sits down next to us. There's an older gentleman on my left, my girlfriend's next to me, then an older couple on her right. Uh, we find the guy is a surgeon. Now, surgeons and orthopedics tend to be conservative. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. for reasons so so that's a red flag okay okay he's republican so, right, so but we're having a great time at the bar they're asking about our food lovely gentleman by the way very kind and uh so we're chit-chatting and he leans over and goes so uh what do you do for a living and my girlfriend just looks at me now we've been drinking panic look in her face and and like mouths don't tell him right and i'm like before i can answer she goes oh he's a sugar baby <laughs> you know i'm like okay we're gonna go with sugar baby huh? and the punch the funny part is the guy goes oh that's cool her family used to own the cardinals <laughs> and he proceeds to ask my girlfriend what she does and she's a corporate executive and so this whole thing and she's like Check, 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 like run away, right? And because so, obviously, he's not going to buy the sugar baby thing for long because I'm a 57 year old guy. And so, uh, the funniest part though was after all that, get the check, we pay it frantically. And as I'm leaving, the guy, the old guy next to me, has just been sitting on his phone this whole time, just texting and looking at soccer videos, just simply looks at me over the top of his glasses and says, I don't know who you are but I know you're somebody <laughs> I'm like, Nope, just a sugar baby. See you later. And, and uh, so I still laugh about that. I'll give, I'll just say to her like, Oh, sugar baby. Huh? And you know, so you, you got to laugh at yourself. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, okay. Second wrap up question. Um, All right. Please give a shout out to a brand, a company, a service that you use that you think is doing a particularly good job in the ethical space. Ooh, that was a tougher one. Than you think it is obviously everybody's, highlights Patagonia. I highlight Patagonia a lot because I was a B Corp and they're one of the flagship benefit corporations in the world. Warby Parker's doing really well at that. Yeah. They're also one of the flagship B Corps. Yeah. I'm very proud of them. I, I do. I had mentioned them quite a bit in this interview already. I kind of gave away the goods, but I'm very proud of my work at the Home Depot and the Home Depot yeah. Foundation. Um, you know, they get beat up a lot. People try to accuse them of being Republican and giving money to Trump. It's actually not. I get very angry about that. It's Bernie Marcus is one of three co-founders. Bernie is very Trump. He's in his 80s, for God's sake. He has actually been a part of the company in like 12 or 13 years. You know, Bernie's Bernie. Um, the other the other guys are giving money to liberal causes, but they don't get credit for that. But but it's a public publicly traded company. Bernie Marcus isn't making these decisions for the company. But but I've always felt that in the time I've been associated with them in 13 years now, God, 13 years, that the company does live their values very well. Um, they've been very generous to the veterans community and others. They've been very generous to the people in disaster areas and and, and where they can yeah. do. And, and and it's one of those companies that I've gotten to know and and, and they truly are as 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 they are. So so if you think about where you spend your money, I, I can honestly tell you, disregard the crazy people in the memes. Home Depot and Home Depot Foundation are doing the good work for the people they care about. Awesome. That's a great one. 
Yeah. Um, Fred, you've been amazing. I'm going to um, just plug for a minute again, all of your, uh, <laughs> all of your things. So we've got the um, On Democracy podcast with FP On Democracy with FP Woman. Yep. Um, we have, um, I think you're pretty active on Twitter. Is that I right? am. <laughs> at FP Wellman. I like 300,000 followers now, I think. Oh, so right. Elon hasn't gotten rid of me yet. So about 300,000 followers on Twitter. And I'm no. also on Instagram, FP Wellman official uh, and all the other places. FP Wellman everywhere, pretty much. FP Wellman. Excellent. And I think, um, you know, I'm hoping perhaps some of, um, some of my listeners are not maybe um, as ingrained and engrossed in U.S. politics as you and I. Um, but if they want to be, um, they can they can check out your podcast, and I think you give some really great perspectives, and and um, you know you have some really interesting guests, and and so if anyone is really looking to kind of educate themselves on on the issues, I, I really recommend it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Love to have more people. It's, this week's is an interesting one. It's the 20th anniversary of the war in Iraq. Uh, and I've got a guy named Leo Shane, who is a long time, almost 20 years as a reporter on the military and veterans community. And it was a very wonderful chat. Very different than, not not so different, but just kind of discussion of how these communities have changed because of 20 years of war. Um, and his wonderful perspective as sort of a, a, an observer at all. So I think it was a good show. It's a fun okay. show. We post every Thursday. Awesome. Um, Fred, you've been a fabulous guest. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks Thank so you. much for your time. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for having me. What a, what a privilege. I appreciate it. So it's just a pleasure to see you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Corporate Activist. Please stay tuned for future episodes and do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Corp Activist. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have questions of your own or need some advice about corporate activism, social impact, or political engagement, please do send them our way and we will respond in future episodes. The Corporate Activist is brought to you by Stance Advocacy Services and is produced by the good people at the Podcast Boutique. I'm your host, Siri Kalsa. Ciao for now. <laughs>